Welcome to podcast number 137 of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is September 21st, 2021, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Thriller and horror author Dan Padavona grew up in Cortland, New York, outside of the beautiful Finger Lakes region, where he earned degrees from SUNY Cortland and the State University of New York, Oneana. He entered the National Weather Service in 1994 and later became a forecaster for NOAA. After publishing Storberry in 2014, Dan fell in love with writing and authored nine additional titles by the end of 2017. Bram Stoker Award winner and legendary horror author Brian Keene called Dan one of the most exciting writers to burst upon the scene in quite some time. His works are currently being produced for audiobooks and foreign translations. He's a supporter of Scares That Care and regularly donates to cancer research. Dan loves animals, especially his dogs and Russian tortoise. When not writing, Dan enjoys photography, biking, weightlifting, storm chasing. Dan has videotaped tornadoes from New York to Oklahoma and Texas and was nearly swept up by a strong twister outside of Sweetwater, Texas. A self-proclaimed ice cream and gelato lover, Dan admits to spending too much time in the gym compensating for his questionable nutritional decisions. Dan Padavona is an author of the Wolf Lake series, the Darkwater Cove series, the Scarlet Bell series, and Dark Vanishings. He's a finalist for E-Festival of Words 2016 Indie Novel of the Year Award. Storberry, his vampire horror debut, reached number one on the Amazon Horror and Alcoat charts in 2016. It was my pleasure to bring Dan on the show. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. On alternating weeks, we are introducing a new podcast, How to Rocket Your PI Business, featuring successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice for those just starting out or for those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share a few of their favorite detective stories and sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, series prequel novella, Liberty City Nights. Miami's most wanted drug dealer is on the run, always one step ahead of the cops. Young, newly married FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, working with the Fugitive Task Force, has figured out how to draw him out of hiding. Will she get killed in the final showdown? For my listeners, this is free. Go to my website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A dot com and click on the link. It will be delivered to your inbox immediately. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. And how's the weather out there in upstate or I should say uh, south central New York? 
Well, it's back to being summer. A few days ago, it, it felt like it was uh, closing back in on winter. We got down into uh, the, the lower 40s overnight and had to bring in the house plants or the, or the flowers just to be certain. And uh, now, we're, now we're back to summer. Wow. Yeah, I know that uh, we don't get those scares much here in southwestern uh, Connecticut. Today, uh, the sun is finally peeking out. We had a gorgeous day yesterday, but a little uh, overcast today. As we record this, it's uh, June 25th. Uh, Yeah, we're in summer and loving it. So, Dan, uh, the reason I I reached out to you was because Amazon, in its infinite wisdom, and I will say infinite wisdom, said that you're an author that I would like. And sure as heck, I went over your website and I said, this guy writes some really interesting stuff and I want to have him on the the podcast. So tell me how uh, your journey as a writer started and take as much time as you want and I'm all ears. I think the journey probably began when I was I was very young. I, I've always loved to read. And when I was a child, I, I kind of threw around the fantasy of possibly writing one of these things one day. But, you know, it, when you grow up and you're reading Stephen King and The Stand is like a thousand pages and, and The Shining is probably four or five hundred or whatever, you can't even conceive of how many words that could possibly be and how could you fill that many pages. So. Mm-hmm. It just never felt to me like like it was a realistic goal. It was just something, boy, wouldn't that be neat if I actually could. As the years passed, I, I kind of got away from reading while I was uh, a teenager and, and first starting college. I was more into, you know, the video game scene and hanging out with a girlfriend and, and whatnot and, uh, and music. And, and as time passed, I refound my love for reading and picked it up again. And through my adult years, I continued, never really considered writing a book again until I'd say about 2013, 2014. I read in several genres. My favorites are thrillers, suspense, horror, and fantasy, um, especially like uh, epic fantasy. Okay. And uh, one day I picked up a book from, it was recommended to me by, as you mentioned, Amazon's Infinite Wisdom Engine. And it was uh, it was called uh, The Name of the Wind, and it was written by Patrick Rothfuss, first book in the King Killers series. And I decided, well, I'll, I'll give this a shot. The, the reviews are incredible. And it seemed like something kind of uh, different than, than any fantasy novel I'd read before. And I was just so blown away uh, by the combination of story, prose, originality, and just the, the jaw-dropping settings I was so immersed in that book and and the sequel as well uh, that I was determined to to write. Now I I had no interest in writing a fantasy novel at the time, but I figured, well, maybe I'll I'll go back to my first love and I'll I'll try my hand at, at horror. So I yeah, I did probably what a lot of aspiring writers do. They they picked up Stephen King's on writing and uh, read it from cover to cover and and decided, okay, I can do this and took my best shot. First novel I wrote, I began in early 2014, I believe in February. It was a book called Storberry, which is a terrible name for a novel. Don't ever call your novel Storberry, okay. uh, especially if it's a, uh, a classic vampire horror novel. So nobody really knew what the book was about, except, you know, unless they, they looked at the cover, it, it kind of had that horror vibe to it. But it was it was basically a love letter to Salem's Lot and and uh, not only the book but also the, the television series from the, from the late seventies that I grew up with and a lot of other classic horror movies from the seventies and eighties that that uh, influenced me and it was a real joy to to write it probably took me four months from uh, beginning to end on the manuscript 
And then there was about a month, month and a half of editing time and a lot of back and forth with, with my editor. And I just, there were so many issues with that manuscript, not just the, you know, the, the gazillion typos and, and errors in that, that sense, but also just, it, it just was obviously a, a first attempt at writing. Sure. And uh, there was just so much to learn. So, you know, thank, thank God for, for my editor, uh, Jack Musey, who um, is my father-in-law, by the way. And Okay could have done that for a living had, had he wanted to. Uh, instead, he chose a higher purpose and he, he taught for uh, multiple decades. And I was one of his students back in the day. And uh, he helped me out quite a bit, uh, got me going down the right path uh, as a writer. And uh, then it turned to more novels after that. You know, once you write a novel, then you start to think about, well, what about the second novel? And I, I went through a period of about three, maybe four years where I was pumping out these horror novels uh, one after another. And I would see fleeting moments of success, but not really. It, it just seemed like I couldn't build that fan base. And I, I got to about 2017, maybe early 2018, where I, I kind of felt like I had hit my limit that if I couldn't make this work like soon, I was probably just going to give up writing altogether. It just, it was so much, there's just so much pressure in writing. You know, people don't understand. I mean, that when they ask me, you know, how much time do I spend per day writing? And I, I tell them it's about an hour and a half writing, another half an hour editing. And, you know, their next question is, well, okay, but you make a living off of that. I would love to make a living off doing something for two hours a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those two hours are as intense as, as anything that you could possibly think of. When you face that blank page every day, it, there's a ton of pressure on it. Even even now, when I have uh, a lot of my story outlined in the form of beats, I kind of know what's going to happen in every chapter. Okay, it's, it's still very intimidating to encounter that blank page and to be thinking, I've got an hour and a half of this, you know, and I, I just need to start filling pages. But I do it every day. And uh, I, I fight my way through it. And if I wasn't making a living at it, if I was losing money or breaking even the way I was when I was writing horror, I don't know that I would continue doing so. It was really when I made the switch to thrillers uh, with the Scarlet Bell series that I, I, I kind of revitalized my love for writing and I found a new audience and that audience turned out to be a lot larger than the one that I had, had accumulated in horror and it just blossomed from there. Well, a lot to be said there, and I'm going to do one. I'm going to say something tongue in cheek, that your father-in-law actually encouraged your writing. <laughs> Absolutely, wow. there's no question about that. You know that that you know driving a truck is a safe thing, but no, I'm going to have you write. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you know, it, it just having somebody who understands, you know, how to flesh out characters how to, I mean, there were just certain, certain things I didn't understand. I mean, I still, to this day, I, I mess up lie and lay and the various past tense and, and Garon versions of, of which, and I have to have some of these things written down so I can refer to them, you know, but just, you know, little things like that, it becomes, um, it becomes very trying if you don't have somebody you can bounce ideas off of. And then there's just so many times you can go to like Grammarist or somebody online and, and type in these questions it's, it's really nice to have somebody to bounce bounce ideas off of. And uh, he, yeah, I don't think that I could have continued down this path without him. I don't think there's any question. That, yeah, and, that he, and the joke was, you know, your father-in-law is helping you with your writing as opposed to, you know, that you know, father-in-law wanting you to maybe do a more sensible career, you know, that, that type of thing. You know, but well, that's I've, a joke, I've, you know, I'm, I'm joking about it, right? Yeah, but in that 
sense, there was never that danger because I, I had worked as a, a government meteorologist with NOAA since uh, 1994. So by the time I started writing, I was already mm, 20 plus years into the business. And I was accumulating, uh, you know, a nice little retirement package and I had uh, benefits and, and, and whatnot. Ironically, though, uh, the writing grew to such a uh, tremendous uh, success for me that I'm retiring early. I'm going to leave this September. So by the time that uh, people listen to this, um, I'll be a free man. Yes. And, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm going to yeah. walk away three and a half years early. Um, I'm still going to get my full pension. It's just going to have to wait until I'm 56 and eight. But when I get to that point, everything that I work for my entire career will still be mine. And I can more than support myself with my writing in the interim. And I just, I enjoy it so much that, you know, every day is, is like a new adventure and it's a lot more lucrative than being a meteorologist too. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hear you. And I think it's wonderful all the way across the board. That's just a wonderful story that you got started. You had somebody that was uh, in your corner that is also your editor that helped you grow in your writing ability and craft. You learned that what you were writing was fun, but not necessarily the most commercially viable way of going about it. Sure, there are guys, like you said, Stephen King and other people in that, and that do that, but you were looking to say, I want, I want to do something more with my writing. And then you uh, shifted over to thrillers and have written them and find that you have an audience that loves what you write and that the, the money comes as a result of people loving what you write as opposed to writing to market. And I think that's that's the huge thing, what I heard there. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Although when I think about writing the market, writing the market, I think, is misinterpreted by, by a lot of authors, would-be authors, in that they think that what they need to do is identify a genre that is, is selling hot right now and begin writing in that. Uh, Chris Fox wrote a, a tremendous book on, on writing to market. I think that's actually the name of it, is writing to market. And I've seen a lot of authors in, misinterpret what, what he wrote. And, and even beyond what he wrote, I kind of see things on a little bit more uh, woo-woo, deeper level. And that uh, my interpretation of, of writing to market is uh, you don't need to study the genre to figure out, you know, what are the tropes that, that fans love. Writing to market is identifying among the genres that you already love, that you would love to write in, what is doing well? And once you, you link those two together and you start writing, it just comes natural to you. You don't need to go back and say, well, do I need to put this in the story because John Grisham did? No, I don't need to do that because I'm already thinking along those lines. This is the genre that I love and I'm just bringing my, my personal twist to it. Got it. No, I, I get it. And I know that finding readers for what you love to write, and if there's a, a way that you can write it better uh, so that your writers uh, your readers receive it, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, and I, I think we're both saying the same thing. But uh, for you to say, you know, these new rom-coms are just taking off like crazy. I'm going to have the billionaire hockey player, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I just mixed two different rom-coms. But you don't love it. You're just, you're just hacking it out to get the, the money. And the cover has to be perfect for that genre. And then once you're off and running, well, you have a, you have a, a marketing thing. Well, if, unless you love writing you know, about billionaire hockey players, 
I think it's it's an act of futility, quite frankly, myself. You know, it's a very difficult profession. Uh, writing and, and, and coming up with new ideas every day is very difficult. And anybody who, who thinks otherwise hasn't written. So you, you must have the love for it. Otherwise, you won't make it through more than a year of, of this business. That's true. And I think as I gave advice to a fellow at, at the coffee shop the other day who, you know, has a dozen uh, manuscripts sitting in a drawer collecting dust. And I, I said, you know, in, in today's world, the day of the one hit wonder is, is very limited. And even back in the day, the day of the one hit wonder was very limited. Sure, you could get the traditional publishers could take out full page ads in the newspapers and tote somebody and maybe push somebody to the top of a list. But essentially, a very well written book, you know, will always do well if it has at least a little bit of visibility. But in, in today's world with indie authoring, indie authoring, I see it is that the writer not only has to write very well, but either has to write in a com- very compelling universe, such as fantasy or uh, sci-fi, or they and they can write standalones in, in that universe, or they write in a series. And I think what you've done with uh, your three series, uh, Scarlet's, Darcy's, and Tom's, you know, is exactly that. You know, writing credible characters in a series that allows the reader to say, oh, what's next? What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? I I really like this uh, character. Where can I get the next one? And I think that if a person that wants to become a writer, if they want to think about it as a career, I think they have to think about writing in a very compelling universe or writing in a series. Uh, But the idea of writing the next American novel as a a one-off, although uh, is very admirable, (laughs) Isn't isn't thinking about commercial success. It's just thinking about getting that written word out there and then and letting the world discover it if they can. I know I kind of bumbled through that, but I think you got the gist of what I was saying. Yeah, and I, I think that there are two main reasons for writing in a series. Uh, obviously, if you favor standalones, then that is absolutely the road you should go down. When I'm writing a series, the way I look at it is, it is a lot easier to sell books two and three to somebody who loved, loved book one than to sell a completely different universe to that same reader. Mm-hmm. They're already hooked on the characters. They want to go back to them. So that is a huge advantage of writing a series. There's also an advantage for the author himself or herself. When I create characters, actually, even before I begin writing a story, what I try to do is create characters that I love, who fascinate me, And then I throw those characters into situations. And the reason I I do this is because if you start with a character that fascinates you and that you would like to spend headspace time with, then you're already looking forward to the day. Now, writing a a novel is very difficult business, let alone writing a series of of novels, maybe six, six to nine books in a series. If you don't like those characters you're really going to struggle with finishing that series. But if you love the characters, then it just becomes a challenge of putting them into different situations and coming up in your head with, well, how would they respond if they were faced with this challenge? And so that's what I start with. Characters that fascinate me, relationships that fascinate me, bring those people into my world, enter their world anyway, and then form stories around those people. And that's basically what I did with all three of those series, which you mentioned. Well, 
let's, uh, and since you're mentioning them, uh, which do you want to start with first, uh, Scarlett, Darcy, or Tom? I guess we could go in chronological order. I, I started with Scarlett Bell. That was, um, I began with a love of the serial killer profilers, and I, I still uh, incorporate them in, into most of my writing. Scarlett is probably like a, a souped up version of like Will and Clarice from the Thomas Harris Hannibal Lecter novels. You know, a less fleshed out example, but but still entertaining would be like the BAU profilers from the Criminal Minds TV series. So, you know, you start with these these profilers who get inside the heads of killers and, you know, you, you already have these crazy dark stories spinning around inside your head just just from from beginning there. So then it became a I needed to flesh out Scarlet's character and I, I settled on a character who lost her childhood best friend when a, uh, a murderer uh, kidnapped the girl and, and left her body beside the stream where they, they were playing before. And Scarlet then uh, represses, represses some memories of uh, her own encounter with, with that kidnapper. And so she's, she's struggling with this throughout the entire series. Uh, but we begin with that, with that premise in book one. And in her quest to rid the world of these people who took away her best friend, she's now a serial killer profiler with a BAU. And uh, you know, the adventures just, just begin from there. Uh, she kind of has some extra qualities I threw into her because I felt that they are entertaining. They, they kind of jump, jumped away from the psychological or serial killer thriller uh, trope. I gave her kind of like a, like a badass quality to her. Um, even if you take away the gun, she's, she's very difficult to deal with. If you're a criminal, she can kill you barehanded. So she's, she's, um, she was just a, a, a joy to, to write about. And, uh, her partner, uh, Neil Gardy is, uh, kind of begins the series as this very straight-laced character who she's trying to bring out of her shell. He's the uh, the senior agent and she's kind of working under him. Uh, but as as the series goes on, those roles be kind of kind of begin to reverse as as she uh brings uh brings Guardy out of out of his own shell and and of course um they're not going to survive the series unless uh they they learn to help each other. Got it. So and interesting the way you wrote her. I had a, a thought on that that uh just made me realize that, you know, that backstory is so important for motivation and drive. And I think of so many other characters I loved reading when I was growing up that always had something in a dark past that was a motivator. And as you suggested, like Clarice Starling and um, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, sure. The the lamb. She heard she heard the lamb slaughtered when she was a child and ran away from um, it wasn't step parents. It wasn't a foster home, was it? I think it was like a, a an uncle or something like that. Uncle and aunt. Um, can't remember the specifics of that, but you know the, the important thing being that um, she heard the lamb being slaughtered and needed to run away. Right. Kudos to Thomas Harris for that. That was wonderful. He's stuff. brilliant. He really Groundbreaking. is. You know. Yeah. Oh, I, I know what I was thinking. That you know you you write a um, you write in genre with a uh, serial killer profile. There's. I don't want to say that. What, what I'm going to say is that there are enough serial killers in America that will never run out of serial killer profilers that will interest us as, as the way they tick and how they can go about uh, catching the serial killer. And I, I joke with my friends in Britain who the British crime writers, I say, you know, you guys write more murders than actually occur in your country. <laughs> and uh, it's like Scandinavia with Stig, Stig Larsson back in the day, you know, so. However, I think you might be surprised, though. I, I quoted the statistic, the statistic in one of my novels. 
I can't remember the number offhand, but if I'm not mistaken, I think there is something like just in the U.S. alone, I think that there are 30 to 50 active serial killers on any given day alive and well and in, in doing what they do. It's, it's actually a, a really sobering and frightening statistic. Yep, you're absolutely right. No, that's why I said we'll never in America, we always have more than enough. So there's more than enough murders. There's more than enough serial killers, serial killing murders. So, yeah, there's always room for uh, for more imagination on on how how to portray that case from a crime uh, fiction writer's standpoint. Then who came next? So next, uh, after the Scarlet Bell series completed, I wanted to go towards something a little bit darker and more foreboding. Not quite a return to my horror roots, but something which at least straddled the line. Okay. I, I think a lot of people at home are, are probably thinking right now, well, how much darker can you get to serial killers? Yeah. And, and yeah, the Scarlet, Scarlet Bell series is, is dark in its own right, but it's a question of, of how you handle the tension. So when I conceived of the, of the Darkwater Cove series, and again, it, it started with the character Darcy, who, who was uh, a profiler with the FBI, tracking this uh, legendary murderer named um, the Full Moon Killer, um, who you know, struck, as you might guess, on, on full moons. So he's leaving a trail of bodies and nobody can find him in the FBI. And she is tricked into encountering him one night. And uh, ends up in, in an abandoned house. Uh, well, she thinks she's she's uh, visiting a witness to this killer, and instead, it's it's him all along. And uh, this that's how the uh, first book begins: is that uh, he tricks her into the house. She gets a, a shot off as he stabs her. It's just enough to disable him and knock him back. The police eventually arrive, uh, take the killer away. He's now in prison for the rest of his life. And I wanted to take it from there. What if I began the story with, okay, she's so traumatized now that she needs to move, she needs to leave the FBI altogether. She cannot work in this this uh, career field anymore. She's found a nice little town along the North Carolina coast, moves her children there. Her husband died from a, an aneurysm earlier in, in her life, so she, she's already had the single parent thing to deal with. So she's, she feels like, you know, this is her, her opportunity to piece her life together. And then bodies start showing up along the shore, and they really seem to point towards the person who the police put away, the person that she shot. But this man's doing a life sentence in a prison in Buffalo. So this, kind of the mystery begins there. And it becomes uh, very much a cat and mouse game. And I ratcheted up the tension as high as I have probably in any book that I ever wrote in, in the first Darkwater Cove novel. I really don't let the reader breathe at all. It's, it's just this constant building of paranoia, of what's behind the corner, of who's doing these things, and how can this be possible? Has the killer escaped? I mean, she's take, she's checking the internet every day to make sure that he's still in the criminal database. Is the database up to date? Would the FBI have called her and told her that the guy's out? You know, she still has some contacts back there. And it just kind of takes off from there as more people die and the tension builds. Um, and then I just built a, built a series around that. Eventually, of course, um, you know, her going head to head with, with the boogeyman, 
that then it became a, a matter of creating other boogeymen for her to deal with over over the series. And um, it, at one point, she actually goes back to the FBI. At another point, she's a, a private investigator trying to you know find that balance in her life. So it's it was a joy to write. It was a wonderful series to write in that it was just so full throttle tension from page one to to page whatever in, in each book. But it also proved to be the, the series undoing and that once I got to the end of book six, I realized, boy, this drained me. I don't know that I can do this anymore. I need to, to take a breath. And, you know, I haven't thrown out the idea of possibly writing a book seven in the series or even continuing it beyond that. But for right now, though, um, I needed to switch to uh, to a different a different idea and different characters and just kind of slow, slow things down. And uh, just to interject for a second there, six books with a great premise. That's uh, two, three book box sets. That's uh, a six book series. That's a that's a lot of opportunity for discovery. There's a lot of different ways that Darcy can get out into the world and into the hands of uh, readers that would just love her. And, you know, I think six is a good number, honestly. Uh, the reason I say that is because I feel that if your character arc takes you to six and you've pretty much closed the loop on that character, no, nobody dies in the end and, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, there's a, you, you kill off your darling, your real darling darling, then uh, there's a chance, yeah, to come back at it again, maybe a little bit older, or maybe one of the side characters gets a little bit more, or uh, one, of your char- one of your serial killers escapes. That You could always bring back Darcy. But I think what you're talking about is the way that the, t- the tension build was such that you felt that how many times can you put the uh, defibrillator paddles you know, on the shock, 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 shock. I mean, after, you know, at what point will your readers say that's enough? Yeah, and what, what point will the author say that's enough? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's a very draining thing to 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 ratchet up that much tension every single day for. Well, geez, I guess it took me uh, the better part of a year to to write those books, which you know, still still quite fast, but still, it was it was quite a challenge. And, and actually, now I'm even now I'm I'm still in that universe because I'm producing the audio books with with various narrators. So cool, I'm, I'm, I am still in that that world to a degree. But um, yeah, and I, I totally agree with with you. And uh, right now I'm I'm moving into book seven and eight of, of the Wolf Lake series, and I feel like there's still more stories to tell for these characters, and and the other characters still have their own arcs going on. Mm. But you do hit a point, I think, where you know, as an author, you've spent too many too much time with these characters. Uh, you need to either like branch off into a different series with with the same characters, or maybe a few characters uh, branch out on their own. Or you just need to to change the universe altogether, yeah, and that's a question of looking both at both inwardly as, as a writer. You know, can I continue to produce uh, fresh stories for these story for these characters? And also, how are the novels being received? Is momentum like starting to fail? Are readers starting to lose interest? Because you have to keep that in mind as well. You, sure. You're not chasing chasing the dollars, but you have to be uh, true to, true to your readers. And if if they're losing faith, then there's really not much point in giving them more of those stories. So far, so good. I mean, people uh, really love that series. And then I guess on the other uh, the, the other end of the spectrum, the extreme end of the spectrum, you've got somebody like John Sanford, who I, I think his Prey series is up to like 32 or 33 books now, something ridiculous. Uh, so, I mean, you know, some people, they, they, they find a character they love. And um, 
I think his is is like a detective, and he just keeps pumping them out, and uh, they they remain fresh, and the readers love them. No, I get it, uh, and and there are those um, there are those authors that you love that when you get their the next book, and it's not necessarily in a series because they could be standalones, but in in that author's universe, and you say, "Oh my God, that one's just fulfilling the the contract for the publisher." <laughs> that, that was a third book in that three book contract. I could tell, you know, that just no, that doesn't work. And uh, oh, and they bounce back and say, "Okay, fine, they got they got a little bit more life, they got a little bit more juice, they got going again." That's nice, but you can you can read the the ones where they just mail it in sometimes. And uh, it's like, oh, really? No, no, thank you. But so I, I get it. Now, the last uh, series that you mentioned, that's the Tom Shepard series? Yeah, Wolf Lake. Yeah. So mm-hmm. t- tell me about Tom and tell me about the series. So I wanted to bring things down a, a notch. I, I still wanted to deal with uh, the same type of storylines with serial killers and, and a lot of darkness and, and investigations. Uh, but I wanted to to have a different feel um, rather than having that constant paranoia I wanted to deal with with um, issues of, of of friendship and love and things like that, and, and more thematic. So Thomas is is a probably the most unusual character I've created, in that he uh, was diagnosed as a child with Asperger syndrome, and this is something which he's he's wrestled with his entire life. You know how how he interacts with other people, how he reacts to. Um, to pressures around him, uh, anything from, you know, just like a loud noise can set him off. Wow. And here he is. He he loved helping people as a child, probably because so many people turned their backs on him. And he was always searching for for that that love. Uh, and he, he became uh, a student intern with uh, the local sheriff's department and while he was uh, in high school. And uh, just kind of uh, bustling around the office, he, he found a love for law enforcement. He went to college for it, and then he uh, moved away from his little hometown in upstate New York uh, to Los Angeles, where he became a police officer, rose to detective after a few years, and was everything was going swimmingly. Um, he spent a decade out there until he was shot, and he was nearly killed in, in, in that uh, gunfight. He returns home to take a kind of a, a menial deputy position with the local sheriff's department under the same man who, who allowed him to, uh, to intern there when he was a student. And he's obviously returning to his roots and trying to find himself in, in those types of things. And yeah, he, uh, he encounters some very dark people as he, he eventually rises from deputy to sheriff of, of the department. Wow. But he, he also is forming these relationships with people from his past and, and repairing uh, relationships with uh, people who he left things with very badly before he went to uh, Los Angeles. So on the surface of things, Wolf Lake is very much another serial killer thriller. But at its heart, the story is very much about about forgiveness, about redemption, and about personal growth and overcoming odds. And that, to me, is just such a joy to write, and and that uh, makes each each novel that much more e- you know easier to approach. So that's where I begin with with Thomas, and uh, I I decided you know rather than just have the focus all on Thomas, that the people who are also in his life should be should have their own wounds, which which they're repairing as well. Their, oh, okay. Their, their own redemptions, uh, you know, redemption stories. So every character is very uh, diverse in this storyline. There is a uh, a woman who uh, was 
uh, addicted heroin, who's who's putting her life together. Her son, who had uh, joined a gang and was uh, one of the most feared people in a nearby not nearby city, reforms his life after uh, Thomas embraces him and brings him into his. You know, just little story, little side stories like that. Uh, repairing his his relationship with an old girlfriend who who broke up with him because she was suffering from from uh, like a, a major depression, and you know, almost almost hit suicide levels. Um, just little stories like that, and he he deals with a lot of loss in these stories, uh, but he also deals with a lot of friendship and, and meeting new people, and and it's just it's fascinating for me to 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 kind of picture you know how is this. How does this man approach the situation when, again, you know, he's he's coming at it from a background. He was born with Asperger's syndrome. He's he's learned how to control it as best as he can, but it's still always there. Um, there's always this extra challenge in everything that he approaches. So it's a really fun series, and um, so far the the feedback has has been wonderful, and I, I really well, appreciate. Well, I was going to ask readers. you that. Uh, when did you mm-hmm. start it? How many books are you into it? And uh, tell me a little bit about that feedback and and the validation for the for your character your multi-character development? I believe I, I started writing the series uh, in the fall of 2019. I'm, I'm trying to, to piece back the numbers. But basically, we're, we're, we're about nine months or ten months into the series now as, uh, as far as publishing has gone. I was really worried about book one and how it would be received because, it, again, it was such a, a change, a change in heart. From from where Darkwater Cove was, um, that uh, I I didn't want to become you know the Darkwater Cove guy. I wanted to to be a suspense writer and a thriller writer, but I I didn't want to just be known for like total tension all the time, really frightening stuff. Um, I wanted to prove that I could be diverse, and I wanted to live in a diverse world. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, so I, that's what I got from what you were telling me that you wanted to exercise more muscles. Yeah, absolutely, and and I I wasn't sure what readers would think of that, but. The reviews, um, the feedback from the first uh, Wolf Lake book was was just so gratifying, and it it just um, it, it solidified my my position that um, you know this was the series to write in my life right now, and uh, I, I'm still there. And you know, whereas at book six of Darkwater Cove, I realized I, I was hitting a brick wall after finishing. Well, I'm almost done with book seven now of of uh, Wolf Lake, and um, Bravo. Yeah, I just feel like uh, there are far more stories to go and, and uh, a lot of different um, characters who are, still have arcs to complete. Well, let me ask you, uh, did, uh, did you get many uh, crossover uh, readers from uh, Dark Cove? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, there are plenty of people who, who have gone in, you know, in either direction. They're, I think most people probably came at me in a chronological order. They read Dark Order Cove and now here's his new series. I'm going to read this next. Uh, but there are a lot of people with, with Wolf Lake has just been so successful and it's always kind of hanging around that top 100 chart on, on, on Amazon in, in its category uh, that a lot of people discover that series first. Um, they read it and then they go on to discover Scarlet Bell and Darkwater Cove after that. And then they write me to tell me how much they love those books as well. And, you know, you know, where were they? Why hadn't I, I ever heard of you before? And it's, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> thanks for coming into my life. I hope you keep reading. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, uh, no, I, I was going to say something cutesy about Mr. Hemingway, like, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I can't. I, I'm not that cutesy on the fly. But uh, interestingly, that that is so unique, unique that, and so neat that you write two books pretty much uh, that they're they're sort of they're cousins, 
and then you write this other book or ser- you, know, you write two series that are like cousins and then this departure that's sort of in you know you're still the parent but you find a readership that crosses over from the other ones to these and and they ask you where the other ones were to begin with that's just amazing that's great and and you're writing uh prodig- prodigiously that's the other thing too is you're giving the re- readers the next book in the series they can put this one down give it a little breather pick up the next one get started they don't, don't they won't tire of thomas they won't tire of uh, Darcy, they won't uh, tire of Scarlet, and they get they get their fill of each, right? And that's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And when I went from from Darkwater to Wolf, too, is that yeah, I'm, I'm having this divergence in in the types of characters which I'm I'm discussing and writing about. But I also made certain that. You know, that that underlying horror, which I began with even back when I was writing vampire novels, still still existed, that there was still this very dangerous killer lurking in the background. And I think that that eased the transition. And, and most of the of the Wolf Lake novels do have a pretty dangerous predator to deal with. Uh, and and I so I think that that eases tr- the transition and people are able to to relate back to the other books and say, OK, yeah, there's there's we're still in the same theme here, but we're just kind of dealing with characters in a different in different manner. Nice. This really sounds good. I, I really appreciate this. I'm glad I had you on the podcast. I'm glad that you're telling me these stories. I like the way you fleshed out all three of them, how they're very separate, unique voices, how they're separate, different people, how they uh, have different worlds that they walk in. And uh, they still got to go after the bad guys and they still have to win at the end. And that's the important thing. I think that's what uh, me uh, personally, uh, I tend to think a little bit like you, but um, I start from a a little different place. I think plot first and then uh, the plot then becomes all the obstacles from which my characters grow. And I like watching my characters grow, but it's, it's I'm more plot driven, I hate to say. Not hate to say it. I'll say it. I'm more plot driven, and I'm happy that I'm plot driven. But it, it gives me the the way to express myself with my characters. What I'm hearing with you too is that you're now growing as a writer with a greater exploration of the characters within the story, and uh, and and there, and you now have your readers invested in more than just Tom, Scarlet, or Darcy. You have them invested in wanting to know what's going on with these other characters throughout the books. Do I get that right? And are you getting that feedback as well? I think that's correct. There's an old adage that writers basically in every single book are dealing with their own demons. So I I don't necessarily think that, you know, I, I can exactly relate to what Darcy was going through or what Tom is going through. But they've all made mistakes just as I've made mistakes, I've had regrets. There are redemptions that, that I need to encounter as well. And I think this is kind of the way that, that writers deal with, with their own internal issues is they uh, s- solve issues for their own characters and in, in their own stories. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Anything else in the pipeline coming at us? A new series? Any new ideas? Any, anything... Uh... Anybody wanting to uh, take your stuff over to Netflix for a uh, <laughs> for a series? Anything going like that? Anything happening? Well, I'd certainly be open to that if anybody does want to do that. But 
But for right now, though, it, it, it's just books and audiobooks. Um, I, I think by the time we get to early autumn, we'll be eight books into the Wolf Lake series. And at that point, I'll probably be at a crossroads as to continue on and, and push it towards nine and ten. Or do we take a different story and start with that? So and, and that I have not decided on yet. There, I get a lot of emails from from people and, and posts to my Facebook page, you know, asking about when are we going to see Scarlet Bell again? <laughs> and she actually does uh, make an appearance in, in uh, one of the Wolf Lake novels. I was going to uh, ask you, do they make any cameos in any of the other books? Yeah. Sure. And, and I just, it was perfect for her. The reasons for her being there were perfect. Uh, the characters who she dealt with, those relationships were perfect as well. And it was just the right time. Uh, so that was something where I could kind of give my my original readers of the Scarlet Bell series a little taste of, of Scarlet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah. she she may come back in her own series. I may go on with a with a with a twist on the uh, Scarlet Bell series, or possibly even revitalize Darkwater Cove again. I, at that point, you know, I think that all options are open, and uh, it, it isn't even something I'm thinking about yet. Uh, but every once in a while, an idea will pop in my head, and I'll just kind of jot it down and. Then you know, after a couple of weeks, see if it still holds holds water. So you know, everyone will probably know about more about what I plan to do come fall when this when this interview airs. Uh, but right now, even I don't know. Okay, but you also you mentioned something to me that, and I said that we wouldn't spend much time on publishing, and we're not. But I wanted to ask you about how has audio worked with your books and how is that working with your books and and did you understand the power of audio when you started getting into it audio is most certainly growing right now as a platform and i I, i'm seeing an increase in sales Uh, some of that is just simply me porting more of my ebooks over to audio so you should be seeing more sales at that point the audiobook sales are still a fraction of what the ebook sales are uh, print comes in a very distant third, but audio is difficult to turn a profit in, or at least a comfortable profit in, because to get a good narrator costs money. To get a very good producer really costs a lot of money. So even if I'm working with somebody who I feel is kind of modestly priced, you know, maybe in that $200 per hour uh, production hour range, you're still talking about a, a book which is going to cost you somewhere between $14 and $1,800 to get the finished product. And then how many copies is that really going to sell? You get a very small percentage uh, of, of the profit from, from Amazon as, as, or from Audible anyway, as, as you would from, from an ebook. Ebook uh, for an indie, uh, somebody who's exclusive to Amazon is going to make 70% on, on, their, uh, on their ebook, whereas uh, I think it's more like 40% or something with an audiobook. So once you, you start to add up all those costs, and, and of course there's fewer sales, it can take a year or two before you turn a profit in that book. And if you go out and, and spend for the real big time producer and you're spending, you know, maybe $400 for a production hour, uh, you know, it could be it could be years before you turn a profit. It is good, though, to do them. I have a very personal satisfaction, find very personal satisfaction in producing these audiobooks. I, I just think it's kind of a hoot to hear another artist with their take on my stories and um, I, I always work uh, very hard to find uh, producer narrators who 
tell stories which grab my attention and tell them in ways which uh, grab my attention. I, I just absolutely love the people I'm working with. Recently found a producer for the for the Scarlet Bell series, uh, Connie Shabshab, and she's just amazing. She has completely breathed new life into that series for me. And uh, going back and listening to the books, which I wrote three years ago, and hearing them now on audio is just like a revelation. Uh, and just, you know, kind of hearing her take on the characters and all the different people who come into the books, it's really neat. And um, I, I'm so lucky that I found her and all the other producers that I have. Well, I just wanted to touch base with you on that because uh, that's not a conversation that I have often. Uh, and since you mentioned it during the podcast, I wanted to, to have you expand that a little bit for me, and I'm glad you did. There's occasions when I have five hours a sitting of drive time. And yeah, podcasts are wonderful. I can, I can catch up on my podcasts, but give me a good book. Oh, my. You know, I'm riveted. Uh, the time just flies. I leave my home in southwestern Connecticut, and I'm five, six hours away. And it's like, how did I get here? How did I get transported here? You know, and of course, I didn't run anybody over or, or have, cause any major accidents on the way. But you get the point that uh, the world of the audiobook was playing out for me while I was driving. And that to me is just amazing. So, and there's other people now, they're saying that actually, uh, I, I heard some statistics where uh, people are now listening to more audio outside of the car and more around the house because they have the uh, listening devices, uh, you know, the Alexa or the Siri or, or um, Hey Google out there that they can then plug in their audio and listen, you know, for a chapter at a time. You know, so people are getting away from screen time. That's right. That's right. Google <laughs> said something back at me. So, well, yeah, I mean, for, first of all, I would I would say all, you know, all props to you for for being able to to commute five to six hours a day. And, and I, I, there's no way I could do that. I would become a serial killer if I had to do five, six hours a day in the car every day. Uh, but I, I, I would definitely need something like like um, audiobooks or podcasts to get me through that. I hike a lot. Uh, I, I love to exercise and get out with my dogs and I'll put on headphones and uh, or, or I'll just have my, my phone in, in uh, my pocket and I'll just play like a podcast or I'll play an audio book. I, I used to always listen to music and, and I found over the years that I, I like to learn and that's that's why uh, audio books or, or rather podcasts um, play a big role when, when I'm out. It, just, it passes the time. I, it really adds to the enjoyment. Um, it, it's not so distracting that I can't like, you know, spend time with my dogs and, and enjoy their company too. And then of course, an audio book is, is just like perfect for something like that. You just do kind of, you know, little, you know, immerse yourself in a world while you're out there, you know, uh, moving through the woods and whatnot. It's just so much fun. Um, and I do it around the house too. I mean, there's, there's plenty of times where like I've got uh, laundry, you know, to do, or I'm just doing some chores around the house, or maybe I'm mowing the lawn and I put on some headphones and I can, I can listen to an audio book. And again, it just, it, it makes the tasks move so much more quickly and um, just brings so much more enjoyment to um, what would otherwise be, be very menial tasks. Now, it's funny that you mentioned, uh, about five to six hours a day in a car to turn you into a serial killer. And, and we think about all our long haul, all the long haul truckers that are, <laughs> that are, oh, yeah. uh, 
suspect number one in the uh, in the B, in the in the BAU, you know. But anyway, I'm I'm joking about that, and it's not something to be joked about. But because I live an hour, I live a mile and a half away from a truck stop, and not not real happy about that. But anyhow, uh, no, I I don't spend every day or or on a daily basis that much time windshield time. There's a uh, once a month I've got to drive down to uh, the Philadelphia suburbs, and it's five it's four hours down, four hours back. So once a month I do that, and I have a great book on audio to listen to to go back and forth because otherwise it would be not a very fun trip. But I feel refreshed when I get there. And I feel refreshed when I get home. Now, the next day, you know, I've just done, you know, 400 miles of driving. And, and you know, the bejesus got kicked out of me. But I, uh, you know, at least during that drive, I was alert, awake, and, and with it to be able to do what I needed to do. But anyway. Well, so, as, we re- uh, as we record this, I mean, tomorrow we're driving down to the Jersey Shore to Cape May for, for a week. Oh, and I, Cape May is so love quaint. It. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. I guarantee you, though, that trip, there is going to be an audiobook and, and podcasts, which get me through. Um, you know, I, I just uh, I need to have something like that in the car. Absolutely. No, I, I get it. Um, we used to vacation uh, next door at uh, Wildwood and then yes. up on uh, sea, Isle, uh, sea Isle City, a little mm-hmm. further up uh, Long Beach Island. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Cape May is wonderful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, good for you. Congratulations. And, Thank you. And, you know, with... Uh, COVID being, or COVID restrictions being a little bit more relaxed, I think uh, people won't be so freaked out to be uh, out and about. So, you know. Yeah, we, we, we went last year and, and it was weird. There, you know, it was, we wore masks. Some people did, some people didn't around us. It was a little unsettling. Of course, since then, I think we've learned a lot more about, you know, the spread outdoors is, is pretty negligible. But then I was like, you know, walking into a shop, I was like, forget it, I'm, I'm not doing it. But we ate outdoors all the time, and it was you know the weather was gorgeous. But this this year is, is going to be a lot more relaxed, and I I don't think we'll ever truly be over COVID. I think we'll always be dealing with some version of cold COVID or flu or or you know pandemic in the background. But uh, you know, think we just have to learn to live with it and and keep it from from killing you know people in mass numbers. Oh, absolutely, uh, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I, I take a little adage, and maybe this is the most political I'll be in my uh, podcast, is hmm. public health is public good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why we have public health. That's why we have departments of public health. Exactly. <laughs> so it's for the public good. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to go live out on your ranch and with your own politics? Well, God love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you're going to be out in public, public yeah. health, public good. Yeah. My, my opinion. Anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, so that's that. So lo- good luck with uh, good luck with your trip to Cape May tomorrow. Oh, thank you. Bring home saltwater taffy, of course. Oh yeah. Amen. Oh yeah. And I, but I thank you for coming on the show today, Dan. This was wonderful. I really appreciate it. I really like the way you you do- gave me a deep dive into Thomas Shepard, Darcy, and uh, Scarlet. I really love the the way you described all three series. I, I felt that uh, the discussion with uh, that you're an independent author was was very well stated. You know, we didn't get into the pros and cons of uh, you know uh, publishing uh, traditional publishing versus indie. You know, you just laid it out the way it is, and um, and we didn't get into tips or tricks with any of the tools or whatever. But right, right. I just wanted to um, you know just to hear about what you did and and how you're doing it and you're how you're killing it. So. 
how can people reach you? And and there is there is a way that you like the good heroin dealer does. You give the uh, listener or reader a taste. So how do they get that little taste? Well, I invite people to to visit my website. It's uh, danpadavana.com, and that's spelled D A N P A D A V O N A dot com. And if you come to the website, uh, click on the free book option uh, and uh, join my uh, readers club. And I'll get you a, a copy of, of Dead and Buried, which is actually the uh, prequel to, to Darkwater Cove and is only available from my website. You can't find that on Amazon or, or, or Barnes and Noble or anywhere in the world. Um, so, yeah, and that'll give you a taste too. If, if you want to uh, figure out if you want to, you know, enjoy my writing or not, um, start, start with that book and see what you think. Okay. Then also, how can people get in touch with you, Dan? Uh, absolutely. You can write me uh, an email at uh, dan at danpadavana.com. You can also find me as an active author. My author page is on Facebook, um, and I have uh, about 1,500 friends there who who follow my uh, my daily musings and uh, talk about suspense novels with me all the time. And uh, if, if that's your genre, if that's your kick, then you'll absolutely enjoy my community. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it immensely. I learned a lot. I'm very happy. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation and would like to hear about other great detective writers and their books, please go to our website, johnhoda.com and click on our podcast page. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the email list to get John's new novella, Liberty City Nights, for free. Check out the show notes for links to all of John's publications, ways to connect with today's guests, and more. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the conversation today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends, or leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's the best way to grow the circle around our country. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.